Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday evening. Um, mostly Thanksgiving. It's uh, Rosh Chodesh, and um, we'll take a look at the uh, Haftorah. Mishpach of Savansi, Bitsal Savansi was kind enough to agree to sponsor the Haftorah pod- podcast also. And we have, of course, Toldos, uh, very famous. All the stuff is famous, if you know Nach, um, where the uh, prophet Micha, Micah, is uh, giving a very remarkable comment on the results of our Parsha, and here's what I mean. You and I take it for granted that uh, Yaakov was a good guy and Asa was a bad guy. And that's because we have the rabbinic literature, the Midrashic literature, which is all this bad stuff what Asa used to do. in Mizana with other people's wives, he murdered people, he this, that, and the other. But, you know, the Chumash doesn't say it that way. All it says is that that one had hair and one did not have hair, and it says that one was a hunter and the other one was not. Okay? Uh... And Aesop is very angry at being wronged and says, I want to kill my brother. I don't blame him. In other words, let's put it this way. If Aesop is not the monster, then Hitaka was cheated in a very bad way. Ah, you tell me he sold his birth rate, all the rest of it. I was taking advantage of him in a bad moment. Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, you can make a case for Aesop if you strip away a lot of the Midrashim and the Gadotas and things of that nature. That's number one. Number two, Edom uh, was a kingdom near uh, Israel, and you will perhaps recall that when the Jewish people came back from Egypt, they were told not to attack Edom, which is interesting. So again, it doesn't sound like it was so bad. Um, it, the only thing is, Esau doesn't get Eretz Yisrael. He didn't get the Bracha. He got to face Edom. Okay. Uh, having said that, it's a choice of historic import that Yaakov got the Bracha, and therefore down to the present day, we have the Bnei Yaakov, or the Bnei Yisrael, as they're called, the Israelites, the Jews. And they're still around, and they played always a disproportionate role in history. They're not just like another people. Latova Larab. You got your people of Sri Lanka, you got your people from Peleliu, you got your people from Peru, from, you know, Ecuador, or whatever, and this, and Nigeria, and so on and so forth, and they're there, but, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And wherever you got the Jews is some kind of a, a good deal or bad deal, it's a big deal. So, you know, you're, you're, you're always going to be singled out or something special, even Latova Lara. So why is that? So you say, well, Yaakov was at Sadegesa was in Russia. Like I just told you, when you read the story straight, it's not so pushed. All we're told about Yaakov is he's Ishtam Yoshev Oholim. Um, now, the prophet Micha, living many centuries later, is saying that the election of Jacob and the rejection of Esau the election of Yaakov and the rejection of Esau is grace, is a divine tova. Because the, the the promises that Avra made, I mean, that Akash Baruch made to Avra Yitzhak, theoretically could have gone to their progeny, including Esau, but he didn't. So, um, that being the case, if Yaakov and his descendants are the recipients of grace, of undeserved uh, chesed, 
unearned chesed, let's put it that way, they should respond with eternal gratitude and eternal respect and an undertaking to behave constantly in a righteous fashion to live up to the great and precious gift they were given. The problem, of course, is, Rabosai, that the Jewish people don't usually do that. As a matter of fact, the other way around. In which case, if you're acting bad after all that was given to you, you're particularly disgusting. If you understand that part, you understand today's Haftorah. Because it says over here, you know, uh, where is it now? Sefer Micha. Uh, let's see now. I'm sorry, I, I meant I meant to say Malachi. You know, uh, I, I mean Micha, I meant Malachi. Um, so if you, if we're looking at uh, Malachi, so what does he say over here? Ohafti Yizchem, Amr Hashem, Ba'martin Ba'hev Tanu. So, you know, the Jews say God loves the Jewish people. So Jews say this, really, how? 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 Hello, Ochu Esel Yaakov, but Oves Yaakov is Esel Sonesi. I picked you over over, over Esau, and Esau is Taka destroyed, and you're not. And even if Esau says, Kisomer Edom Rushashnu, but no, if they want to rebuild, they won't be able to rebuild. Esau will be destroyed. Malachi is like beating a Baishani, probably, and by that time, Edom, Edomia was a shadow of what it was. Been. It was going down the tubes. Okay? Now, here's the point. So I picked you, and I didn't pick Esau, and I could have, and how do you respond to it in a disgusting way? God is exalted outside of the borders of Israel. So in other words, you might say, well, naturally, we're the Jews, and we practice monotheism, and so on and so forth. And the Navi says that's not true. Uh, not all pagan systems believe in multiple gods in the sense of there was no original super god. There are those that are like that. There's no question about that. And they understand that the world always was there or something along those lines. And the different gods are just different forces that were just always there. The way you and I would think about Rabbi Shalom, Kaddish Baruch Hu. But there are also many religions. In which they do believe in a supreme being. You know what I said? They do believe in a supreme being. The only thing is they also people the universe with other gods. Very similar, I'm sure, to as as many listeners in this podcast will remember the way the Rambam describes the beginnings of the Avodas in the time of Enosh. You can have a pagan system in which there's a supreme being. The only thing is the supreme god is perhaps unapproachable or something like that. And you can have intermediaries. And those would be your saints, your gods, and this, that, and the other. And those are the ones you want to propitiate if you want to get something selfish done for yourself. The big boy all the way upstairs is too busy to take care of you. You understand that that kind of idea. But they do believe in a supreme being. The Judaism is the only one that says you're not allowed to believe in anything. In Obilvado. You understand? You can't believe that there are these um, subordinate gods as well. Uh, you can't have that. And we consider that, by the way, a Vodazara. Even though technically speaking, you could say it's not a Vodazara. It just means you believe in Hashem, and you also have, uh, you know, a couple other uh, ancillary things subordinate to Hashem. That very possibly is what the golden calf was. So, it's not exactly a violation of monotheism if you understand monotheism to believe ultimately at the top of the pile in one supreme God. It's only if you interpret monotheism as Ein Od Melvado, that there is no room for anything other than that God, 
then you say you're violating monotheism. So, in the time of uh, Malachi, who may have been Ezra, no, you know, it's, it's very confusing about that. But around that time, uh, you know, uh, where the Persian Empire was ruling, things like that, Greeks. So, uh, he says that uh, around the world, in other, in other cultures, they do believe in the Supreme Being, even though, of course, they also have temples to subordinate uh, deities. Um, just off the top of my head, the person would be Zoroastrian, so they would have two gods, a good god and a bad god, but the, the, on the top of it would be a supreme god, as he sees it. And here's the point. Even though theologically, Hashkafalized, they may be screwed up, but in Lamaisa, how they conduct themselves, they have the greatest reverence and respect for the Supreme Being. Ben Yechabedov, Eved Adonov. When you have a Supreme Being like a father to a child, or a master to a servant, even of Ani Ayetvodi, Vimadoni, Mani Ayemora, Yom Hashem So what he's basically saying is the Jews did not show the proper respect uh, and awe of the Supreme Being. So what's he talking about? And the answer, to put it in modern terms, because that's the best way to understand things, is if you have talking and drinking in Shul. That would be the most uh, uh, best example of what this Haftar is talking about. Imagine, I know this doesn't happen in the United States, but it happens in other countries, I'm told. <laughs> Imagine if you have people who are talking and davening, um, or uh, schmoozing and this and the other. Imagine, especially if they're like, you know, knocking a few back, in the back of the shul, or going out for a cage club, or the, something along those lines. So, it's not that I'm coming so much from a dummy angle, I'm speaking that from a theological perspective, which is what the Haftorah today is doing. And from a theological perspective, who the heck are you to go out in the middle, you know, maybe a Haftorah time, something like that, and go to a kiddish club? Because you don't think that the Haftorah or the Parsha is hush enough for you? Like I said before, aside from the from dummy stuff, it's, it's very insulting to the Bonishalom. And you wouldn't do it uh, if you were dealing really with a big person. That kind of approach, which we hear these speeches all the time, but the reason you hear them all the time is because they're true. I actually um, just secured, where I hope to be in uh, Boca in early February. Um, and one of the talks I'm planning to do there is a history of synagogue decorum and perhaps non-decorum, particularly in the modern era which I hope will be very interesting. And, because uh, nobody has an idea what I'm talking about. Uh, but the lack of decorum, you know what I mean, things that go along like that, has always been bad. And that's what our Haftorah is talking about today. Now, specifically, even a guy today in a Stiebel in Lakewood, who may schmooze and booze and so on and so forth on a typical Shabbos, would say, this is because I'm in a little Stiebel. If I were in the base of Migdash in Shulami, I'd Kohanim, that would be a different story. I imagine that is, I, I do imagine that's the mentality of most talkers. You know, most, uh, you know, schmoozers and boozers. I think. Uh, but I'm not. I'm in a stable somewhere in somebody's basement, you know, so, you know, get off my back. That kind of thing. However, the truth of the matter is, these people who are doing the schmoozing and boozing are nothing but the lineal descendants of their ancestors 3,000 years ago and 2,000 years ago who acted the same way when they were in the base of Migdash. They were schmoozers and boozers in the base of Migdash and they went up for Kiddush Club and all this other stuff at that time and that's exactly what our Haftor is talking about. Right? 
Right? You, the Kohanim, who are Mevaza, my name. So in other words, in the temple service, the Kohanim were screwing up. And you say, how so? They offer lousy carbonas, you know, uh, uh, once again, old meat, old animals, lechem uh, you know, junky uh, stuff on the altar, where really, if you're offering for Hashem, you should offer the best food. But, you know, a person says like this, listen, uh, look, you know, God doesn't care how the meat tastes. Uh, but I care how my supper tastes, and so if I have two pieces of meat, uh, the good one I'm gonna keep for supper, and the bad one I'll give to to, to the altar. Because after all, I just simply have to be yotze to offer a carbon in the Valterine. So I'm offering my carbon, you know, I'm offering a carbon, and um, you're going to, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, you're going to fulfill your obligation. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter what you fulfill it with. Because, in other words, it's just a matter of, of uh, what's the right word, checking the box of the halachic uh, um, minimums, right? So if I offer this and this type of meat, you know, from this and this type of animal, it's good enough. And Hashem's like, the quality matters to me. Not that Hashem needs to eat, but it shows me where you guys are holding, okay? Okay. <laughs> If you offer up animals that are blind or or or, or listening an animal, whatever whatever the uh, the problems are, uh, the lame and the sick and so forth, isn't that wrong? Hakarvino pechasecha, you wouldn't do it to President of the United States. Pechasecha means to your pasha. Pecha is a Hebrew for the pasha, you know, the 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 Gaisha governor. Which, by the way, in the old world, like in the time of Malachi, there were like rulers of Jerusalem and place like that, and you had to kiss up to them and give them presents. Believe you me, back in the old country in Europe, uh, if you had Xmas coming around, or uh, New Year's coming around, or Thanksgiving, they didn't have Thanksgiving, something like that, the Jewish community would always give a present in front or behind the scenes to the chief of police, to the mayor, to this, that, and the other, they had to, you know, buy them off. Uh, and they didn't give them junk, because it would be counterproductive. Uh, ah, you'll tell me you can't give a guy... Gifts on uh, on on the holidays because of the mission and the Vodazar. Everybody did it. Just get over that. Everybody did it. Matter of fact, where did I see this? A number of years ago, somebody spoke in Baltimore. I forget it was some relative of Breuer, and he said he was saved. Was it the Crystal Knock? Was some other time? Maybe they were going to arrest him. I don't remember exactly. Saved because the cop on the block said, "You know, Rabbi, take my get, take my word for it. Get out of here tonight, or get out of the way." Soon it's going to be trouble, and and he did avoid it, and um, and he said, "Why are you helping me?" Something like that. I don't remember the story exactly. And he said, "I know you're always very nice to me. You always give me a nice box of cigars for uh, either Christmas or New Year's. I forget which one of the two. Uh, so you know, nice big box of, of juicy cigars. So he uh, wouldn't You wouldn't give him old junky cigars. You see. So therefore." Um, Basically, what he's saying is that uh, So, the Navi is complaining, Hashem is complaining, I, I performed grace on you, 
by choosing you over Esau. You don't respond appropriately by being very devout and very respectful in your avoda. You do the avoda because you got to do the avoda, but it's done with bad quality secondhand goods, a bad attitude, no kavana, and all. And you treat the whole thing of shulchan megoelhu v'niva nivza achlo. Okay, so um, and you even say. Listen, we got to do it, so you got to do it. No, it's got to go to Mincha, got to go to Mincha. It's a bummer. It's a pain in the neck. Okay? Um, now, and he, I mean, he really, he goes into detail. Cursed is the one who has a male in his flock. And then, notice he has a good animal. Instead, he gives Hashem the Mashchas, the bad one. Okay? So, um, Therefore, he said like this, if you don't watch out, I'm going to wipe you out. So, this is Taka problem. You understand? This is Taka problem. Now, he contrasts... So, if this is in the Haftorah, my point is, it represents an existential reality. It's not just a history lesson, how people were acting in the late first temple or early second temple, whenever it was, it's not just that. It's more than that. It's telling you something basic about the Jewish people, and we have we have our pluses, we have our minuses. One of our minuses is in our avodas Hashem notice in tefillah. It's just a fact that one of our minuses is that we, you know, like I say, the equivalent of talking in shul or not behaving properly, all the rest of it, as a manifestation of a lack of seriousness. You know, it's the famous stories you hear. The guy uh, davening at the hotel, but at the same time checking his uh, his cell phone, you know, see what the stock market is doing, if he has any messages from his wife and all the rest of it. And he doesn't see in that an insult to the hotel. You understand? He doesn't see a problem with that. Now, um, if the Navi saying this is part of who we are, that's why throughout the centuries you've always had this problem. It won't go away. The Rambam, I think you may possibly remember, abolished the silent monastery for, for this reason. Because he said, the Muslims never talk in the mosque, the Christians never talk in the church. When they come in for prayers, they're very reverent. Uh, it's the Jews who act differently. Now, ever since I'm a kid, people say, well, a shul people, Hamish, and all the rest of it. And I do understand what that means. I do get it. But it's no excuse. No, I understand the excuse. That doesn't mean I accept it. And again, who's me? I'm just uh, talking here in a podcast. But you know what I'm saying which is that um, Judaism doesn't accept it. Let's put it that way. And as I said, if you're complaining about the Torah, it ain't going away. It's a problem that has to be managed. Now, the problem is, okay, the problem is that it doesn't have to be that way. If you would have somebody who did a quality service, religious service, then it'd be something special. But he's got to go back all the way to, <laughs> to I think, Aaron Cohen, because he says... That's a reference to Aaron. When Aaron was around, I gave him Mora and he feared me. In other words, he acted right. He never, when he did the Avodah, it was done in the right way. You understand? And he had trembling for my name. That is to say, Aaron appeared in the right way. Now, you know, this fits in very well with those Chazals who say 
that none of the Navi were killed because they didn't. They were Shtuyayayin, they were this, they were that, meaning they didn't have that kind of reverence. They were very smart and maybe uh, pious in some ways or other, but when it came to the Avoda part, uh, you know, they were deficient. That's one theory of many why none of the Navi were struck by, by fire from heaven. But this would comport with that because the father, Aaron, wasn't like that. He always, he never deviated, and he was always able to hold cup, even though it's the same kind of carbon all the time. So here's the thing. If you find somebody that acts properly, especially in davening, all the rest of it, and of course also acts outside the shul in the proper way, because he says, uh, So it's, it's kind of interesting. Yes, you need somebody who acts correctly in davening, but outside the shul you shouldn't act different. I know some people that they're very punctilious because they're shulchan archetypes, which is fine, and you know they won't do, they won't talk or won't this and the other. But outside the shul is a different story. Uh, so you need both. One's not the taking the place of the other. So you need Torah emes befiu. You need avol nimzav The guy doesn't use bad language, or anything like this. B'shalom of or halach. Look what he said. Shalom. He's nice to people. Uvamishor, he's, he's Yashris. Like the Yaka said, Glat Yosher, not only Glat Kosher. Bashalom Vamishor Halach. He's Vamishor. Uh, therefore, Rabbim Heshimilavish. Now, why was it that Aaron is famous in Jewish history for being the person who was a marriage counselor, for being the person who settled quarrels between people, for peace? Rabbim Heshimilavin. Right? Because after all, the original task of the coin. Is to help the people offer carbonatus, carbonosham, and this, and that, and the other. Now think about what I'm about to say. Why does the Torah mandate that a person does a sin? You bring a carbonatus or a carbonosham or, or any of that sort of thing. It's not simply, you know, buy off God, put five dollars in the confession box, and your sins are forgiven, and all that kind of stuff. That's not what it is. The answer is, of course, that bringing the carbon is part of a process, but you have to do a vidui. And who are you doing the vidui with? He would talk to Aaron, and then he said like this, you know, I did this in the Savera, and Aaron said, why did you do this Savera? What about the other Vera? And so forth. I, I'm sure I told you the story. I'm sure I did, but it doesn't matter. I'll say it again. Vadi Yosef used to say, a guy came to him, you know, when he's big pushtak guys, you know, with a tall big Sephardim, with a shaved head and all the rest of it, after one of his speeches, no yarmulke, and he's like this, I'm here to do tshuva. <laughs> what are you here to do? It was a Yom Kippur, before Yom Kippur. What are you doing, tshuva? I'm here to do tshuva. Uh, my, I don't do my machronim. You don't do my machronim? How come you don't do my machronim? Well, I figure since I don't do my machronim, heck with it, why should I do my machronim? Why don't you do my machronim? Well, I thought since the, the food was not kosher, you don't you don't make natilsi dime. Why was the food not kosher? He says, because there were no kosher restaurants open that day. It was Yom Kippur. <laughs> so what's he worried about? Uh, the my machronim. That was the job. See what I just did? That's the, called the Socratic method. You ask a question, you ask another question, you ask another question, like a detective does, and then you get to the heart of the matter. When you get to the heart of the matter, Rabim Heshimiovan. If a person simply says, I did this in the Vero, and what's the uh, dependence or the Chuba, and you simply mechanically say, it's this, that, or the other, you know, you just read out of Mishnah Bur or something like that, it doesn't work many times. Instead, you have to go and, and dig it up and find out exactly what's the problem. But it only works if somebody would go to Aaron and tell him the truth. Why would somebody go and confide in a priest? 
meaning in the Kohen. Well, well, Torah says befiu avlo nemsvasov b'shalom of mishor halach. Okay, if a guy talks like that, rabim heishem yavon. But if not, then not. So not everybody can say that my rabbi or my this or my rebbe or whatever it is is a person that I just described. That he's such a role model. You know, he may not have learned, and he may even know how to paskin. Could be. But to say, B'Shalom of Amishar Holach, E.T., Avlo Nimsis Mosav, it's not so simple to find people like that. At least, let me put it this way. I haven't lived that long, but I don't find too many people like that. Kisiv Seikon Yishmru Das here it is, that famous Chazal, which fits very nicely, and that is that the Rebbe has to be Malach Hashem Tzvos. If he don't Hashem, the Malach Hashem Tzvos, then okay, they can learn from him. If not, not. Uh, not many Rebbe's are necessarily uh, on that level. Well, I'm not sure. What I mean to say is like this. Your Rebbe, with your, with your relationship with him, at least as far as you're concerned, because nobody knows everything about anybody, as far as you can tell, he should be Malch Hashem He seems to be a Malch in the sense that he walks the walk, doesn't only talk to talk. But anything short of that is no good. So what it boils down in the end is that this Parsha leaves us with a very high bar. Okay? <laughs> a very high bar. The election of Yaakov was a matter of grace. And the successes of Yaakov aren't doing that great in the Avodah. And one of the reasons is that Kohanim and the other people running the show in the base of Misha are not Aharon's. Uh, not many are. They can't meet the Aharon standard. What was the Aharon standard? The Aharon standard is very interesting. Torah says, V'fiu, Avlo, Lo Nimsa, B'svasav, V'shalom, Uvamisha, or emphasis, V'misha, Olach, and therefore, Rabbi Heshimovan. Why? Sif, Sekon, Yishmu, Das, V'tari, Vakish, M'piu. So, uh, these sound like cliches, but of course, what the Novi is saying is, you know, they may be formulaic, but they're but, but they're not inaccurate. Now, how many people actually acted like that? Let me put it this way. We know at the time of Malachi, when the Beis Amish was standing, and there were a Kohanim with a Kohen Godel in the Gansa business, and these are the same guys that ran all the elaborate stuff you read about in Mesech Des Yuma, but uh, things were not on the up and up. And uh, you had Lechem Agol, and you had Pisech Iver and all these other kind of things in there, and and the public, therefore, which 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 cannot be helped but be influenced by the conduct of the priests, if they see that the priests are acting like, what's his name, you know, the two sons of Eli, Chafni and Pinchas, then they say, Shochan Hashem I mean, you know, why not? Uh, if the people in charge of the Torah are acting in a lousy way, then people say, so what do I have to have respect for the Torah for? If the people in charge of the Mizbeach, of the Karbonas, are acting in this and this way, people say, what, 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 you know, let's put it this way. This is why I went and scrimped and saved to bring an extra Carbonola, you know, and the whole thing's going to be a joke. When the Kohanim does, he's going to be schmoozing with the other and cracking jokes and who knows what. Why should I spend the extra money to do it? And you spread a cynicism. So a base HaMikdash, and a Mikdash in general, requires a great deal of spiritual maintenance. <laughs> and especially in the part of the priests, or as we call them today, the rabbis, uh, because they serve that function nowadays. If that class of officiants uh, doesn't come across in the right way, then people get very cynical, it's natural, about the whole process and the whole religion. We do have some problems with that in Judaism today. We also do have many people that are honest, 
you know, uh, I'm not sure B'Shalom of Misha Holach, I mean, I guess so, but, uh, you know, it's, anyway, I think that the, the prophecy of it is food for thought, and you don't need any Mepharshim to go explain it, the, the words of the Novi themselves speak for themselves, at least that is my contention. Uh, anyway, I want to thank once again Mishpachas Stefanski, uh, as I said, I hope to be doing this, turning this into a a full uh, lecture in, in Florida on, on the uh, history of synagogue decorum and in decorum, especially in the 19th century. And uh, anyway, with that, I wish you a good job and thank you all. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.